Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 30, Austin Fitch. This is a, the quick turnaround style because I actually just got done interviewing Austin. Just left about an hour ago. So it's very fresh in my mind. Um, I've known him, god damn it, about 20 years now. I loved uh, King Sour, the band he was in in the 90s. used to see him play at a lot of warehouse parties around Richmond. And um, y'all who know, you know. If you don't know, you missed it. But uh, you're not going to miss Austin. He's still doing a lot of stuff. He's had many bands since then. Damn Dirty Ape, The Fontaines. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, yeah, Small Town Superstar. Um, and he's doing something... Uh, recent beautiful zoo i think it's called uh he mentions it in there had trouble getting that one to stick in my brain i had asked him like twice um in addition to that uh quite a little bit of buzz around his sort of pop art uh dot portraits of presidents that were featured at the uh, rva street art festival a couple months ago um Really interesting looking stuff. He's done a whole bunch of them. It's like getting to be a real uh, a theme. Um, and I went on his Instagram page, which is Big Fitch, by the way, if you want to look at him. He's got them all on there. Um, I think yet to, he's still working on a website, but it's really cool stuff. Dig it. And Austin's a great dude, and it's a lot of fun having him over here. It's been a really long time. And I think he and I used to butt heads a bunch in the day, and I thought when he came over here we would talk about that a little bit, but fuck it. Didn't even get there. Didn't even go there. Just had fun talking. It is... uh, I am recording this in my new podcast studio, which is another room in this house where I'm living that I just uh, expanded into, and it's a little echoey in here. I'm going to have to get some more shit in here, some acoustical tiles or something, because I I don't know if you can hear it, but I can hear it's echoing all over the room. But it's cool. I'm going to leave this equipment set up and people, I have people start coming to me. Maybe I can get more consistent uh, sound out of it because I used to cart this laptop and all this shit everywhere with the mic stands and all that. Um, hey, yeah, kids. I uh, live in large, living the dream. I hope you are too. i got nothing else for you right now other than to say let's get right on into Austin, bitch. <laughs> so I'm rolling. All right. All right. Austin, how you been, man? It's been a fucking buddy. long time. Yeah, been a while. I don't even remember the last time. I think it was it was I don't think I've seen you since you've gotten back to Richmond. That's for sure. Maybe uh so like two thousand and eight would be the last time maybe? Maybe, yeah. What been a you, while. What do you, what were you doing in two thousand and eight? I'm Oh, same thing I'm doing now. Uh, you know, tenant bar to pay the bills, mm-hmm. so I can afford to have the the time to make my art and play my music. Mm-hmm. You know, been doing that since I got a college degree or two. Were you were you working at uh, were you working at, at Swingers or McCormick's? When have you been working there that long? I've been working there four years. I did do a couple of stints back in the day, like I, you know, helped them out on the Metal Mondays and stuff like that. Yeah, but, that's right. But, but I didn't have like a regular shift. Metal Mondays was like you and Eric. Uh, Larson yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, we'd yeah. have bands upstairs, and I would ten bar upstairs, and yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. I saw you um, did a uh, cool 
uh, like sort of was it George Washington or Abraham Lincoln? I did both actually. Both. Yeah, I did the the George Washington was uh, well, just to back up a little bit. I you know all the G40 murals going up and all this art going around town. I was like, man, you can't swing a dead cat in Richmond without hitting an artist. Why are you bringing people in? Right. You know, and so and I kind of just went on a mild Facebook rant about it. You know, it's just like, come on, man. You know, it's like, you know, and the analogy I use is like it's like trying to smuggle drugs into Mexico. It's yeah, just right? silly. You know, yeah. it's like and um, <laughs> so um, somebody just who I know um, sent me a link. Um, hey, they're have, doing a contest for the for the street art festival at the GRTC lot. You know, and you all you had to do was submit three digital images of three of your paintings and that was it and then they called you up and I you know and I made the first cut so there was like 20 25 artists that went out there ranging from you know AFO students to me right and you know and you did a six by six foot piece and then out of those artists they chose seven to be part of the street art festival so I got in it that way so you were doing the six by six piece. Was that done at the bus compound first? And yeah. Then, and then you do another piece the day of the. Right. Or, or, right. And, is, and are you, is it in progress while people are there at the festival when you're doing the bigger piece? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I got, you know, um, then the funny thing was, is that, um, you know, my old roommate, bandmate, college student, co-college student, whatever at Trask, he's one of the guys that ran it. But right. You know, um, I didn't really kind of know that at the time. I knew he was involved, but I didn't know that he was one of the main guys. Right. So I just, you know, I just applied. And and he, and the great thing was for me was that people that I knew were not part of the panel of judges. Yeah. So I got chosen to do one of the big pieces, which was really nice. And they even, and because the Street Art Festival is a nonprofit and they mm -hmm. get, you know, corporate sponsors and all that kind of thing. So I didn't, you know, all I had to do was, all I had to spend was time. Yeah. They took care of materials, which That's was awesome. Yeah, it was great. I mean, and so um, I actually worked on mine because I actually was driving by the lot and saw some people already working and saw Ed out there. And I went talking, I was like, well, it's supposed to be three days, but can I get started on this? And he was like, yeah, man, go right ahead. So I actually worked on it for five days. I, probably, I think I tried to keep track. I think I put almost 60 hours. This is the final piece? or the, yeah, the yeah, the big one. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the last, the the Saturday and Sunday, all most of the artists were still working. And over the, the Saturday and Sunday, over those two days, it was ridiculous amount of people. They, mm -hmm. they think that there was over 6,000 people that came through just on the Saturday alone. And over the course of the weekend, they are... They were estimating somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand people walked through that lot. Wow, I I was stuck working that day, so I didn't get to come check it out. So what was it? I mean, I've never been inside that lot. Like, was it cool? Like uh, having all those people in there, and were there like vendors in there? Oh yeah, I mean they like, even I mean they had vendors. They had one of the uh, buildings was where where they actually had a party there this past Saturday. But one of the buildings they had all these like. You know, almost like a art bazaar or a bazaar bazaar type thing. They had vendors, you know, people selling clothes and knickknacks and antiques and all kinds of stuff. They had food vendors. They had beer trucks. They even built a half pipe so people were skateboarding. Um, there were DJs playing. I mean, the lot is five and a half acres. Right, it's huge garages that have buses that fit inside. Yeah, right? well, it's like well, hangers, right? Yeah, yeah, well, that's what they used to use it for, right? you know, and it's just been, you know, 
everyone and apparently in the fan area has been complaining to GRTC that it was an eyesore and it was run down and it was disgusting and when the street art festival approached them about it um they were kind of i mean they were especially for richmond i think they were they were more than enthusiastic about it because it was going to get the the, the you know the fan association and all mm-hmm. those people off their back yeah so they spent a pretty penny and a lot of time to clean it out and make oh, really? it yeah yeah so they, that's cool yeah so to make it you know suitable for the public right um but for me personally it was like you know being an artist um you know i mean musician as well but being an artist it's you do everything by yourself you're always inside your head you know you yeah. don't it's you know and i loved it because it reminded me of being in art school again yeah because you have almost 50 artists it's like studio class or something yeah yeah but you have like 50 artists all working at the same time and so you know you you know get too much into it or too much into your head or need to take a break and you walk around and you get to see all these other artists from all over the country i mean the guy that was right across the the alley from me who did this giant piece he was from argentina you know and so it was just like talking to him about you know how and where he does his work Mm -hmm. and like and then you know um and it got you know Sometimes artists can be a little self-absorbed and self-centered, and what? And, yeah, and, but what I loved is it was very communal, and not in the like you know granola way, but it was very right. it was very communal. Everybody was like sharing materials, brushes. You know, they only had um, so many scissor lifts and scaffolding for people to use, so mm-hmm. everybody was being you know okay, I'm going to be working up high for a couple hours. How about you work low and then we'll mm-hmm. switch. And so it's like, it went, it went really well. And I, and that part of it, I had a really, I, the artist part of it and talking with other artists, I had a really good time with that and seeing other people, how they work and their mm-hmm. process and color usage and all that formal painter stuff. I, I had a blast. That's really cool. Like, I didn't realize, and I mean, I, I saw pictures of you working on, on Facebook, obviously. And I was a friend, I friended the street art festival, like Facebook page mm-hmm. And I just assumed like you were, you know, hooked up in there by by Ed. You know, like he just invited you to do it or something like that. That's really awesome that you went through the entire. Yeah, I went through know, the process, yeah. and he even said he was like, "Man, I didn't even know you were still doing murals and stuff. I would have just hooked you up." I'm like, "Well, you know," I was like, "I really appreciate that." And next year, I'd really like to get it. Yeah. You know, I'd like to get a so street, street or a golden ticket. Hoops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you know, but it was kind of satisfying for me. You yeah. know, it's like I didn't have still to, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. You know, or never had it and do now. You know, but it's like you know, I didn't even have to. I didn't have to. You know, I've been living in Richmond since '86, but I didn't have to like, you know, backdoor it at all. I didn't right, be like, right. Hey man, look me up. You know, I didn't have to. <laughs> I didn't have to pull that. I got. I got in. I got in on my own. You know, and so, yeah. so that was pretty good. And and once I got in, it's like I really spent a lot of time on it because I wanted the piece to be as good as i could make it yeah you know and it and i had it and i haven't done a piece ever done a painting that big i've done mm-hmm. some pretty big ones but i mean that was 12 by 18 feet so that's a lot of that's paint. pretty damn big yeah yeah it's um i mean that's two and a half stories tall you know so i i been so for me it was great to have that to be able to do that kind of scale two and a half stories tall mm-hmm. jesus yeah 12 by 18 or 80? Eight, 18 feet high. Okay. Your average story is 10 feet. So, okay. So, but, but that's with everything. So, right. I mean, but, you know, when you're up there on a scissor lift, you know, and you're painting, you know, almost 20 feet high, that's like, that's, it's, yeah. it, it, it doesn't sound high, but when you're up there, it's high. Huh. Well, you know, I've just now learned what a story is because I've always <laughs> thrown that term around. Yeah. It's like eight story to 10 building. feet. It's yeah, like eight right. to 10 feet, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. You launched right into that because a few months ago, I I talked to Chris 
uh, milk in between the G4 and the in the street art festival. Right. And he was he said the same thing like you know and he wasn't as vocal or as convicted about it as like you know is what you're saying which but he was with some teasing he did get into sand it is kind of ridiculous there's this many paintings painters in richmond and this many artists in richmond that they would bring dudes from dc and all over oh man it was people from philly and uh, a guy from texas san francisco new york chicago yeah you know which i guess is kind of cool because i mean it's good i mean in the big picture it's good press for the city sure and then all these people come to richmond and they go out and they talk about how cool richmond is and that has paid off you know i I can get i can see the big picture even you know even though i you know like most people that live here i'm focused on my own little world you know um it's cool that you got, and you have Ed Trask and Belial's doing that one right, right behind it. And I didn't realize Belial's is on city council. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a that's a good that's that's unusual. A, that he's you know, and I had a really long conversation with him um, a couple times during the festival. But I went out there um, this past Thursday. I got a call from a a, a friend of mine, uh, Michelle von Offenheim, mm-hmm. who is a teacher, and wanted me to speak to some of her students. They were doing mm-hmm. a field trip, so. Myself, Matt Lively, John John Hirsch, uh, Hamilton, um, and another artist whose name escapes me. I apologize. I can't remember. But um, we went out there and talked to like three different – I think they were like eighth graders. Mm -hmm. You know, so we just kind of gave a little spiel and then let the kids ask us questions. And, you know, and they – and but it was really nice to see kids walking around there that blew their minds. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even the bad boy alley that has all the like more street taggy stuff, you know, which is – you know, which is hip. Right. You know. But then there's other stuff that's very you know abstract, and uh-huh. then there's my stuff. Fine, which fine is the, art and yeah, yeah. And I got you know, and I do the pop art stuff, and there's other people mm-hmm. doing like straight up very painterly portraits. So mm-hmm. it's like the 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 bonus was is that I mean, you name a style of painting, and it's pretty much out there somewhere. And have you been that you did kind of a Lichtenstein like kind of uh, dot optical mm-hmm. mix kind of a thing? Uh, yeah, the Bende dots. Was that did is that a thing besides him doing it, or is it? Uh, well, no, yeah. that's uh, that's all based on uh, the bendes. A lot of artists use them, and it, it's the basic dot pattern, grid dot pattern that's used in printing. Oh, okay. So it's like blowing that up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you back up from it at a certain distance, it actually turns into a tone. Mm-hmm. You know. So and, and it's just over exaggerated mixing. Correct. <laughs> you know, it's it's just a take on that, and it's a really good it's it's a really good device, and it has a really good effect. And is that one that you've used? Um, was that a th- did you just start doing that recently, or is that no? Been I've been doing I've been doing that for a while. I just yeah. I've been working um, this whole. I started kind of doing the pop stuff. Um, I kind of really switched gears in my style. I started doing the pop stuff. I don't know, probably about six years ago, mm-hmm. and then with no, maybe seven years ago, and then with the uh, last presidential election, um, I kind of lost my mind with everybody throwing around the word patriot and patriotism. Right. So I started doing this series called the Pop the Pop Patriot series. Uh-huh. So I started doing founding fathers and presidents and like and or in my opinion, you know, either presidents or you know people that have like you know, changed our country for the better Mm -hmm. and also have philanthropic, you know, tendencies. Like I, I did a portrait of Bill Gates, Uh you know, um, and I have a whole list of them that I've been work I'm doing, and some of them, you know, I also do portraits. I've done a couple commissions because people are like, "Oh, I really love to have a portrait done of my kid mm-hmm. or my son or my In brother." That style, yeah, yeah. So it's like they just, you know, they're and I'm just like, "Well, get a photograph of that person that you know that you think conveys 
their personality or what you like about them and just give me the photograph and then I go from there and work out price on size and mm-hmm. you know, yada yada yada. You so I I first encountered you as a member of King Sour, I guess. It, like when I when we were both in VCU, I guess. Like yep. you're, you're maybe what are you like 45 mm-hmm. now? So you're like a couple years older than me. Um and did you come to VCU to for school? I mean, for uh, art school? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I came. Yeah, yeah. I went, yeah, I went to AFO in '86 and um, went through the painting and printmaking. Mm-hmm. Got a degree in fine arts, painting and printmaking, and a minor in art history. Where'd you come from? To yeah. well, I was in the my last two years of high school. I was in Northern Virginia in uh-huh. Springfield, but prior to that, I mean, I was a military brat, so I lived everywhere from Japan to Hawaii to Texas. So, so you're I mean, not a Waynesboro guy. Nope, nope. I know all you the just bro- got mixed up with those dudes. Oh, I love my Waynesboro brothers, man. <laughs> You're honorary Waynesboro. Guy. Yeah, they actually told me that. They told me. Yeah. They told me. They told me that I am honorary hill people. <laughs> and then what's where's the honor in that, right? <laughs> well, when you go and when you go and have when you go and have dinner with their grandmas, that, uh-huh. that that's where the honor is. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I, can cook. I love me some country cooking, man. Yeah. So how did you get hooked up? Was that your first band in Richmond, uh, King Sour? Or were you doing something? Well, like I not technically. The technically the first band I was in was, and, and it's like the worst name ever. It's a great idea for a name, but it was called the Tenth Street Chakra. Tenth Street Chakra. See right Tense. there, Tenth. Like uh-huh. it's in, you know. T e n s e. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So that right there is like every, and we would tell people we would get like Tenth Street Shocker, you know. <laughs> so we're like, this name is stupid. And, and who uh, was in that band? Uh, it was me, Tom Peloso, Andy Jims was playing drums, and David Klein uh was a singer. Okay. And then we changed. Well, we kept working. We were like, we got to change the name. And Andy left, and we got Matt Boyle. And w- at the time, we were still, uh, you know, quote unquote, vocal oriented band. Mm-hmm. But Dave s- kept not showing up for practice, and we kept writing songs. And so we kept writing more and more songs that didn't have vocals in it. Right. And then after a while, it was just like, yeah, we're an instrumental band because nobody will show up to sing yeah. with us, you know. Instrumental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instrumentally retarded. Yeah, it was, that was a song or an album? That was an album. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> and also I got to give my props to uh, Jim Thompson because he was the one that came up with the um, Simph Riff Sonic. Like symphonic, but uh-huh, Simph uh-huh. Riff Sonic. That's, that was his uh, coin. That was the phrase he coined for, you know, the instrumental, the heavy instrumental, jazzy, rock, metal yeah, the, yeah, genre. Yeah, brought up jazzy because... Without it being what most people think of, I guess, the average person, they think of jazz, you know, which is probably leaning towards, like, lounge music and shit like right. that. You guys were more like electric bebop, like, really, um, like, soloing, riffing, like, right. you know, improving. I always, like I, always, I, always I always, said that it was as close to being metal as you could get without necessarily being metal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and a lot of people, you know, at least, you know, in the... Late 80s and early 90s, you know, you know, they used to use, to, you know, to, to describe what we were doing, you know, King Crimson, Frank mm-hmm. Zappa, right. even a little bit of Jesus Lizard, mm-hmm. especially the guitar work, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and every and any time I get um, compared to Dwayne Dennison. Yeah, makes me makes me No, that's, that, that, that makes a happy guitar player. You right, know? right. I remember seeing you guys at a warehouse party in the building on Broad Street. I think it was the first time um, that, you know, when Bay was having one of those 
those parties there, yep. and I happened to be on hallucinogens at the time. I, well, <laughs> if, if, if it was a specific party, um, that, that was when um, that was when uh, Brocky showed up. And they had just got back from tour from San Francisco and just handed out little pieces of paper to everybody. Yes. Yeah, yes. that was actually my apartment. That's where I lived. Oh, you lived there? Yeah, really? yeah. We were doing, uh, it was the, we, we did it, I think that was the first year we did it, but we were doing, um, like, the first weekend when school would start, we'd, we would do the 10 and 10, and it would be hmm. 10 kegs and 10 bands, uh. you know, and so it was just, it, it was, I mean, and, you know. That's when Richmond was not a kindler, gentler place, yeah. and the cops were just like, all right, you, you guys are all staying in this building, and nobody's drinking outside or fighting outside or doing drugs outside. All right, fine. We'll just lock the door and yeah. keep everybody in, and they didn't care. And also, there are hundreds of people in there. Oh, yeah. We, we, we actually were taking a dollar a head, and in three hours, we pulled in 500 bucks, and, and we were just like, well, you know, and back then, what, 10 kegs was like. Three hundred dollars yeah, or something. Yeah. So we just basically took the other money and went and got more beer. Yeah, you yeah. know, and you know, and that's also when all of Broad Street was just. I mean, one out of ten buildings had something in it. Yeah, you know? I mean, you couldn't you couldn't even get away with anything like that now. You know, and I'm not trying to say oh the good old days, but you know, it's they different. Yeah, they definitely had a they had a lot more tolerance. You know, and that was before there was a business school and mm -hmm. before there was an engineering department and before this. You know, any of the sports teams were getting any accolades or right. anything. You know, it was just a boatload of art freaks, yeah. you know, painters yeah, and sculptors. That's all VCU was. Yep. That's right. And it was great. I mean, it, like, for me, that time period was like a, you know, I, I got to have my own, like, mini summer of love kind of experience. You know, there were all these fucking bands and everybody's doing drugs and going crazy. And it was, you know, it was a countercultural thing going on it wasn't didn't have any particular direction <laughs> yeah and, and the thing is that what i really liked about it was because a lot of the people were there because of the art school or because they were in art school there was like in a lot of cities i think kind of had it at the time but most of them don't like everybody was really on each other's side like mm -hmm. It wasn't competition between bands. It'd be like, hey, man, let's do a show together. And then next time, we'll open for you guys. You know, it was never like, oh, we're the bigger, better band. We have a bigger crowd. We have more right. records out. It was like, oh, you want to do a show? Great. Yeah, yeah. And then it, and the funny thing is, is that most bands don't want a headline because they're like, no, no, no. We want to play in the middle so we can drink you after. You still you know, hang out, right? Yeah, you know, because it's like, you know, <laughs> if you're last, that means you got to try and stay sober. Just, and you got to load out immediately after playing. Right, right. <laughs> Which sucks. Does the bell ring? I win a prize. Yes, that's the <laughs> bell of mindfulness. We now will meditate. Uh, yeah, that you know, King Sour really, and and all of those bands, like probably the only period of time that I liked, I really liked instrumental and uh, instrument. Hmm. Instrumental. Yes. Yeah, instrumental music. I'm getting hung up on the mental part now, <laughs> but you know, there was something. Later on, it gets all like too much about the the changes and not enough about the freaking out and like you guys are all a bunch of freaks mm -hmm. you know and i think you're all you're all sophisticated enough to be listening to a lot of you know highbrow kind of jazz and shit like that oh yeah know? i mean but, a lot of those guys were you know music students and mm -hmm. you know like tom for instance right. you know he was he was majoring in stand-up bass yeah you know and and he's a riff master yeah i mean you can give him any instrument if it's got strings on it or keys on it, he can play it. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I've seen him doing that with his his current project or yep. what he's been doing, like since then, mm -hmm. which is a whole crazy other thing. That we, I got to get his ass. I got to find him and nail him down to talk well, I'll, about I'll that give, trajectory. I'll, 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 I'll give you his number. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when he's going to be around. Yeah, the one I got is like no good, but I, I saw him. He 
was in New York when I was there, like in 2006, with the Modest Mouse, and mm-hmm. let and let us come to the show, and then and then it said no backstage, but then ended up letting us come back there, and I was. It was a real trip, man. That was when he had Johnny Marr playing. Yeah, yeah. I actually got to have I actually got to have dinner with Johnny Marr. It's like, and you know, and the uh, irony is, is like I'm not a Smiths fan. Right. It's not my thing at all. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, just I'll tell you the story real quick. Because you know, they played in Charlottesville, and Tom rented out a joint and had a big after party. Mm Because you know, he's from Waynesboro and he lives in Lynchburg, so it was like all his personal, his friends, his family was there, brothers and sisters. And I end up sitting at a table with Tom's parents and Johnny Marr. <laughs> and this girl comes out. She's like, who got the grilled chicken Caesar salads with no croutons? And me and Johnny Marr raised her hand. We had ordered the same thing for dinner. And just and, and after that, he and I hit it off and had a great conversation, you know. And it's just like the, it's just like the, the, the most random, We bonded thing. over a distaste for toasted bread. <laughs> exactly. No carbs, please. <laughs> Um, so how did this, how did Kings, like, what were you guys, what were you working from? What was the palette you were working from when you started writing songs there? Like, well, was it- I mean, I was a really big, like, you know, I loved King Crimson. I loved Rush. Um, I loved Naked City. Mm-hmm. Um, I really was into, um, I really was into the Jesus Lizard. Mm-hmm. Um, really into like off tempo, diminished, you know, um, you know, round beats, you know, somebody in four, four, somebody in three, four, somebody mm-hmm. in, you know, some, you know, and just having all those beats come around, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and really having to concentrate and think and listen to either you or the other player to, mm-hmm. to, to stay within the, the confines of the song, mm-hmm. which is kind of outside of the box of rock and roll and metal and, but mm-hmm. still having all those sensibilities. Right. And what really blew my mind to it was when one of the first shows I went to in Richmond, I saw a band called Hoy Ploy. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, Greg Labuddy and Tim Harris and... Was it Ed? No, no, no yeah. Mark. Mark was Mark. playing drums. Mm-hmm. And, and they were instrumental. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize that they didn't have a singer until like the third or fourth song and i was like these guys are these guys are freaking awesome yeah you know it's like and they just killed it and and i was like okay that all right my mind is officially blown and i think i was like 19 or something it's like it blew my mind that they could maintain that much at least for me i don't know about the rest of the audience but maintain that much interest and demand that much attention Mm -hmm. you know and i was like and that's really where the seed was planted, you know, in, in, in my head about pl- the whole idea of instrumental rock or, you know, heavy instrumentation and like, mm-hmm. you know, and I was weaned on everything from, you know, the Grateful Dead to Merciful Fate. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and then, you know, because when I was a kid, you know, I mean, I learned how to drop in on vert ramps listening to Slayer and Metallica, you mm-hmm. know, so there's a lot of really good playing going on in yeah. those bands, you know, and so just a kind of amalgamation of all that and what was going on musically, you know, it's, you know, we had stickers that were made up and said, you know, parental advisory, no fucking lyrics. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I remember that. It, during, that was during the whole crazy right. Mrs. PMRC Gore. thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Parents so, Music Resource Center. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and it was like, you know, how do you, how do you maintain a punk rock attitude? attitude with it with instrumental stuff without having to without having any lyrics yeah there's no personality for the people to relate to there's nobody to put out there he's the leader he's the front man he's the or you know or you know singing songs about how much ronald reagan sucks right you know it's like how how do you how do you because we all were very punk rock we were all very you know living in 
shitholes mm-hmm. and paying you know a hundred bucks a month for fifteen thousand square feet kind right. of stuff you know and and it was like how do you convey that musically without actually saying it have some having some you know beating somebody about the head and shoulders with a narrative mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know so and I think that was kind of the secret you know the, the the pot of gold for the Richmond instrumental music scene at the time and yeah. and a lot of people that are still playing now. Even, you know, I mean, there's a lot of bands from Richmond that are huge and are big. And, you know, and occasionally when I run into them, they're like, man, that show I saw you guys at when you and Hose Got Cable played. And the alternatives are like, man, I, it changed the way I think about playing music. Yeah. You know, um, John Goldberg tells a story about how he got grounded for like a month because he snuck out of the house to go see King Sour play. That's just like, <laughs> you know, that's almost better than having a having a mansion on a hill. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I to this day I remember that show. I was, I mean, it's not just because I was on hallucinogens at the time because <laughs> it was, I was, I really got that you guys were there wasn't a narrative in there, and like I remember this lead you play. It's, I still remember it to this day, and it, um, it was. Not like a bunch of different chords. You were on on top of all the shit that was going on. You were playing this little like trill on the guitar, like, and it was, uh, and it had this poignant kind of a um, melody to it. That, right. That to me in that moment was like, this is the song of like all of this shit that nobody knows about in this town. Yeah, like, a lot of my a lot of my guitar playing, like the, what you're talking about, is mm-hmm. like those kind of riffs and stuff. Was that because when I was a kid, I played saxophone. Ah. So I have a lot of like I you know, and I didn't really realize it till much later when I actually went back and listened to some of those recordings, and I found some DAT tapes that never made it to one of the records and i only had one friend of mine that still has like a, still has a dat player mm-hmm. so i went over and i was like oh now i know why these songs didn't make it on the record because they i mean one of them had a wah-wah pedal and it's really embarrassing but <laughs> but when i was listening to it, i was like wow okay that almost sounds like a that almost sounds like a saxophone riff mm-hmm. that you know that you would hear you know um you know in, in a in a horn section in a, mm-hmm. in a funk band or something and mm-hmm. it really so i was like oh i guess that's where some of my mel- melodic sensibilities come from and the same thing with tom with King Sour mm-hmm. is that he plays trumpet and he plays trumpet really well. So his sensibility of bass kind of comes, you know, it kind of bubbles up from trumpet. Mm-hmm. My sensibility with guitar bubbles up from saxophone. So I, you know, in hindsight, much much later, I was like, oh, no wonder it works so. What we our sensibilities work so well yeah. together. You know, playing off each other, sometimes doing doing the same riff in a different time signature or doing stuff in harmony, but always in not like a symphonic harmony, but more like a big band harmony, mm-hmm. you know, or a little bit of that jazz in there. You yeah. Know, that, so um, you guys were both siphoning the same kind of background into the same kind of music. Oh, yeah. The first yeah. song we ever yeah. played together was a Zeppelin song. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's kind of. Which one was it? Um, stump, this Ramble on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I don't even know the song. I was just kind of flubbing the, mm-hmm. the guitar parts but it was just like i was out because I, I was screwing up because i was just watching him play bass and i, was I remember like, oh, somebody man. telling me that you they were hanging out with you one time and you were just you you could rip off any riff they challenged you with you know they were just like uh, play play this randy Rhodes thing or play it, it, this i could fake it you yeah. know it's like well, <laughs> if it was if it was a quote-unquote real musician they'd be like man That's come on you know but but some of <laughs> you know but somebody who doesn't play i could i i could fake you it you know it. yeah <laughs> So now I'm remembering there was Malsey Helens. Were yep. you in that band? No, nope. no, you weren't in that no, band. The, Were you Damn Dirty Eight. Damn Dirty Eight. But yeah. prior to that, I was in um, Small Town Superstar. Ah, uh, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But was Bopes in? Yeah, Bopes. Uh, Bopes in both of those bands, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm confused. Yeah. Yeah, it was me, Bopes, Ed Trask, and Carrie Buckman. That's right. She was the singer. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing that I really liked about that band, well, not to mention 
uh, having Ed and Bobst as your rhythm section really does not mm-hmm. suck. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I can sit there and just go, hold one note and sound like a rock god. But one thing that I really liked about that band that was fun is that Chris and I would switch instruments. There were some songs where I would play bass and he would play guitar. Mm-hmm. So there were times where it was like two, it sounded like two completely different bands because yeah. we approached both those. Totally uh, different styles. Totally, yeah, we appro- our approach to them are totally different, mm-hmm. you know. And that was pretty fun. And that band, we released one record um, and recorded another. And then Buckman went, got a chance, I think, to go out west and teach. And that was right when Ed got offered the gig with a veil. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, yeah, I got offered to play drums with a veil. I was like, well, you're going to definitely right, I forgot make about more that. money and see more towns with them than you will with us. You right. Know? Yeah, I hate you, but have fun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Is that when you put Damn Dirty Ape together at that point? Or um, a little bit after that. Um, yeah, I did the Damn Dirty Ape thing. That was that was a lot of fun, you know, because um, I just wanted to play real, very, very hooky, riffy, vocal-oriented rock and roll, mm-hmm. which we did. I mean, like, and people may think it's cheesy, but for what we were doing and what time it was, the, you know, where, where music was at that time, it was like, man, you guys were like a cross between Rage Against the Machine and Stone Temple Pilots, mm-hmm. and I was like, hell yeah, because we were trying to be cock rock. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, I've been doing a lot of other stuff, and I was sure. just like, I, I want to do that. Yeah. Sometimes you just want a grilled cheese sandwich and have souffles already. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't want to have to think too hard, man. I want to come up with a good riff, and, you know, verse, Drink chorus, verse, beer. chorus, bridge, guitar, solo, chorus, out. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I love pop music, you know? I mean, and I... And there's nothing harder than to write a really good pop song. Mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's like cooking a steak. Yeah. You, know, you get a perfectly done steak. You're like, oh, it's perfect. You don't think about it. But right. if it's not cooked right, it's a piece of crap. Yeah. So. Yeah. Who was in that? It was Heath and um, Tim. Yep. Tim and uh, Marshall Dowell. Oh was a yeah. Yep. Forgot about that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He and and that band actually came about because he was in a band called Terminal Bliss, and and he was a guitar player, singer, and it was Heath. On on bass, and um, uh, 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 Jay Diddy was on drums, and I was loaded one night, and they were playing. I was like, "Man, you guys are good, but you need a you need a fucking guitar player. Mm-hmm. This sucks." He's like, "Oh yeah, we'll bring it." And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, I will." And like ten days later, I was in their practice space, and they were like, "Okay, this is good." And that's literally how the band came. Wow, became, became to be. I rem- did we? Did you play that thing that uh, the, the punchline did, the sweat fest? Yeah. Remember you in a tutu, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Tutu and tights and combat boots. Yeah. Gets gets a good look for you, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it was the punchline. It had to be funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that reminds you of uh, Kurt Cobain wearing the uh, ball gown on the Headbangers Ball. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I really miss punchline. I really do. That was good stuff. I don't know if you've listened to any of these things. I got Pete on here. and uh, I do? Yeah, we had Pete and I talked and Ryan Muldoon and Cam Denunzio. Oh, and nice. Abby. Oh, cool. I, I haven't collected them all yet. Like, <laughs> Jayon keeps escaping. Oh, uh, uh, does he? Yeah. <laughs> I keep uh, I keep going up to hang out with him in Charlottesville and then forgetting to get the stuff out, you know. And right. We, we've wasted a whole bunch of these conversations in the air, right. basically. But <laughs> we're trimming off the fat, I guess. <laughs> Are you playing music these days? Or yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, after after Damn Dirty Ape ended, um, uh, myself and uh, Ding David Wingfield, who's actually doing stand up comedy now, um, and Russ Jones, who is in Amberetta and mm-hmm. Inquisition, mm-hmm. Um, and Cheese, great bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we like we wanted to play music and we were like look we don't want to be artists mm-hmm. we don't want to write we want to be entertainers we want to mm-hmm. entertain mm-hmm. so we started doing covers and but what we were doing is kind of what and i would always say this you know you are you familiar with me first and the gimme gimmies yeah mm-hmm. well That's we did what they did but much fat better mike right yeah or but we did that. what they did but much better but we mm-hmm. took like oh <laughs> we took like old like 70s anthem uh you know Coliseum songs and like mm. did them double time. What, like are you a speedwagon kind of oh stuff? Oh man, or? Take It on the Run, yeah, Dreamweaver, yeah. uh, Every Breath You Take, Comfortably uh-huh. Numb, which was great because we did that almost triple time. And I just, and just, you know, David Gilmore is hard enough to do his solos, but at triple time, it was like, it was a lot of fun. So and, it's kind of in the tradition of Manic, Hispanic, and Me First and the Gimme Gimme, right. and all those things, just mashups. And, and like we just band, did you know? a, we just, as a joke, we recorded a song, uh, a CD with three songs on it, and people really, really took What to was it. that band called? The Fontanas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and so we got to do, you know, and that really took off. And, like, by the end of it, man, I had a book. I mean, we had 200 songs in our repertoire we could pick You from. guys are actually either ahead of the curve on that shit or right or kind of at the same time. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. Right at the, the same fu- time. Yeah. And, you know, we got to do, you know, uh, an Oktoberfest. We did a one of the Banditos um, mm-hmm. parties where that you know for their you know, anniversary. We did um, Shamrock the Block. We did like something at Mayo Island on Earth Day or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that. And you know we did that for a couple years and you know, until it told it stopped being fun and it just kind of fizzled and you know and everybody kind of went their separate ways. And now um, um, I'm playing playing and writing original music again with uh, Lee Reynolds. Um, Who's Lee? Is that's not. Lee from Car Bomb. Yep. Is it? Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and he was also in the Nancy. Mm-hmm. And he and I both were kind of like, you know, we wanted, you know, we vaguely knew each other. Mm-hmm. We knew each other because our bands would play together a whole right. bunch. Um, I knew him because he's got a really huge presence on stage and a really strong voice. Mm-hmm. And so we just got together and we started writing and we've been doing it ever since. And I mean, it's been years that we've been doing it, but since both of us have lives and have to make money and we don't have any delusions of grandeur, it's like, it, it's one step above hobby because mm-hmm. we still play out and it's like, you can listen to our stuff on SoundCloud. And what's it called, Ian? Uh, Beautiful Zoo. Beautiful Zoo. Okay. Yeah. And actually I was trying to bring in other musicians to, you know, bass player and drummer and people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, this is when we practice. And they're like, oh, whoa. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't really have a cabinet or an amp right now. It's like, man, you know, so <laughs> I just started, um, that's my story. You know, it's like, well, you know, with digital stuff now. so it's like, mm. you know, he'll do some beats. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll do loop beats or I'll actually, you know, sequence my own beats, play bass, I play, you know, keyboards and, you know, and I just, we put it all together and we're just a two piece. And so we you perform out like, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we were, were originally we were, when we were performing out, it was just me playing guitar and him singing mm-hmm. and that was it. Um, which, and we got a pretty decent response, but, um, what we started doing now is like, we would just record the songs and how we want them done. And then we'll remove all the guitars and all the vocals, overdubs, everything, and then kind of remix it and then play it through the PA. So bass line and drums and keyboard stuff is basically canned, and it's mm-hmm. coming th- and it's coming through the PA, and then it's just live vocals and live guitar, and I do backup vocals. And There's a time-honored tradition of that sort of thing, too, I think. Wasn't Big Black kind of doing that? Yeah, like and they Ween, had some Ween of it. did that, yeah. you know, back in the day, and that was mm-hmm. when, you know, that was before there was really, you know, there was no such thing as an MP3. It was right. on tape. Yeah, you know? tape loops and, and loop pedals and yeah. Uh, so we just take you know like we that. just you know we re- kind of have to remix them for to play live. You know, mm-hmm. you a little bit more bass and a little bit more drums to do it live, and just put an MP3 on an iPad and 
Yeah. You know, hit the button and go. As iPads are fucking. Am- I saw somebody playing keyboards on their iPad, sitting on a music stand in a live show recently. Yep. Yeah, I, that's how like, I record. That's awesome. It's a lot of fun, and it's really easy. And it's like what what I love about it is is that the technology has finally caught up to my wallet. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can sit in my living room, and I have this. Alesis makes this uh, interface dock, so you can plug quarter inch and microphone and. And um, you, <laughs> I mean, any you any turn input. it into a like a four track basically, like you can plug any of your instruments, yeah, the microphone, yeah, and into a pad have, or it, well, it's basically just it it looks like a little book, mm-hmm. you know, and you slide the iPad into it, mm-hmm. and then you can plug any instrument. I mean, you can do MIDI, you can, I mean, anything. I think I need to look into that because this thing I'm using here is uh, is pretty fucking lame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I, mean, I think I paid like. I mean, it's less than two hundred dollars, mm. you know. And it. it and, and then the the pads are now or or are like five hundred four four five hundred dollars or something, e- right? Even less. Yeah. You know, Pretty. and and it's so basically, you know, and I just use, you know, I use GarageBand, and mm-hmm. it's great. And now the new updates on it. I mean, you can do any. I mean, you can do almost anything you want to on that. Then you can't say in Pro Tools except bending notes. Right. You know, like if you're flat on something, you can't really go in and digitally change your voice to get a mm-hmm. key. Other than that, any recording that you want to do as a musician, I think you can do. Mm-hmm. Now, and you have to get smart with your mixing when you send it out into the world because it changes a little bit. So you're sure. going to have to experiment, which is basically, di- uh, I guess, a uh, home digital style mastering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but. For being able to just be like, hey, you know, I, I did a song in GarageBand. Check it out. And you can literally I email approve it to somebody. of someone like you doing this as well because you have taken the chance of attempting to make something, you know, happen on a live setting with several other musicians many, many times. Like, you know, especially King Sour, like complicated shit and dealing with the variables oh, involved, yeah. including intoxication and, you know, <laughs> yeah. not being able to control all of that stuff and still making it sound good, you know. and Yeah, it's, well, you know, a lot of people do it the other way way around right but they hide like, behind that technology the whole guy yeah but when i was recording chance. that didn't exist right you know it's like you know and we didn't and because of especially the nature of king sour and it being so energy driven and so eye contact and mm-hmm. head bobbing and watching you know watching matt hit the snare and mm-hmm. knowing where we are on the song it's like that there was no way to do the track separately. It would mm-hmm. never work because yeah. we, we had to be in the same room. We had yeah. to be recording. Together. So when you recorded, you guys recorded as a live as everything. A band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even some of the songs, like we had the instruments in isolation booths, mm-hmm. and that was even problematic for us because we weren't feeling it. Yeah, like you the, need to hear that vibration be hitting you. And yeah, that, so yeah. some of the songs we actually just said screw it and we just brought everything in the room. You know, so it's like. You know, there's a mistake. You can't cut out that, you know, if you, right. act, you know, accidentally, you know, fumble in a roll and hit a rim, you can't edit that out because mm-hmm. it, you'll hear the whole band drop because right. all those mics are picking up everything. Right. You know, and, and you know, and, and and because of that and because of the lack of money that we had, you know, there are some of those performances where I'm like, oh, man, you know, we could have done that a lot better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you play it eight and a half minute song 15 times yeah. you know basically you just old. get to where it's like i don't really think we're going to hit it any farther out of the park yeah than that, yeah know? i still th- i think that's i had no idea you guys recorded like that and i think that's really awesome because so many people who are like you mentioned metallica i mean by the time they got to injustice for all they're recording every single drum separately yeah you know it's like he's just sitting there hitting the kick drum for a track yeah you know not doing anything else and like yep. I mean, like, I'm not in any position to judge any of that stuff, but what what really, what I really think is amazing is when guys go out on the high wire 
and make that shit happen. Right. You know, that's the fucking magic is like when you can get three dudes who have a, a certain level of mastery and a certain level of like, you know, no fear with the chaos that comes in no matter how much woodshedding you did, no matter right. how much mastery you got, bullshit happens. Yeah. And you can you have the confidence to go ahead and roll with that. And, and that that's what I've always liked. about. Well, that's what band, puts the know? that's what puts the the moment in the real life and the art. I yeah. mean, that's that, you know. When some you know somebody makes a you know and some of the other stuff we were doing, um, you know somebody's voice squeaks or somebody mm-hmm. hits a weird note and and you just kind of like the look on your face is like oh my god that was brilliant man I totally didn't do that on purpose right. dude it's like d- d- don't tell anybody and it doesn't matter because it's right. like you know it happens it especially happens when with paintings yeah you know you're doing something and 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 you drop the brush or mm-hmm. something and you make a mark that you weren't trying to or and something unexpected happens and you're like. I'm a freaking genius. Yeah. But yeah. it was, you know, it's just a happy mistake. You know? That's, that's the shit. The, I mean, that that's what I'm like always looking for, though. And I don't pursue it. I, I mean, unless I can be working with a bunch of other people where there is that kind of chaos right. and where there's that opportunity. Like, I don't even do it because I don't like it under controlled circumstances. Right. Well, you can't. <laughs> be, but that's one of those things. It's like, you know, it, it, you know, it's very, very Buddhist. It's like it's if you're looking for it, you're never going to find it. Right. It's one of those things is like you have to just put it. If I get a happy mistake. I will pat myself on the back, but mm-hmm. otherwise, it's like you can't even be thinking about mm-hmm. it because if you do, it's never gonna happen. Yeah, you know, it's like it's so like you can't it's get like, into Narnia. Yeah, it's trying. Like, yeah, it's a kung fu movie. You know, <laughs> you you can't think about being the master. You just have to be the master. Yeah. You know, it's like, and 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 I love that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it happens all the time. You know, I've picked up. You know, I had an idea for a song. I picked up a guitar, started playing, and I was like, man, this is great. And then realized the guitar was out of tune. <laughs> you know, and been like, okay, well, you know, and I'm like, well. How come this chord isn't working? I'm like, oh man, and they're like, oh, this whole, this string is a half step down, so I got to write that down, you know, because it's one of those things. I mean, yeah. it's a Sonic Youth moment, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's awesome, man. I like that you embrace that. I didn't know. I mean, I, you know, when I actually got into playing guitar, I I never progressed past the power chord kind of a thing, <laughs> you know. And I just was like, you know, I'm never going to be one of these technical players, but that was okay because I really wanted to, you know, I wanted it to be something that I didn't know a lot about and shit just happened, happened right? You know. And I just sort of assumed when I started playing my version of like grilled cheese music mm-hmm. in this town that like, you know, I'm, people are never, I'm never going to be able to like in the same line with the guys that were like so focused on getting it perfect all the time. And right. I didn't, you know, but nobody was really trying to do that. You know, they, that was just the language they spoke. Right. You know, exactly. I'm learning that now as I talk to yeah, I mean, look, various man, people. Uh, you know. Kurt Cobain is probably one of the worst guitar players mm-hmm. to ever be as big as he was. And he'd even tell you, but yeah. it doesn't matter because he's a great songwriter. Right. You know, and it's like, I know a lot of, you know, I know a lot. Of, I had an argument with a guy like right when I, I don't know, a couple years into King Sour, I think we had like done our second tour or something. And sitting at this party and all these like, you know, jazz graduate students talking shit on you know, punk rock players and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, look, man, what's your definition of a musician? Mm-hmm. He was like, well, you know, you got to have guys you play with, you know, you got to rehearse, you got to put out some music, and you, and you tour. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, well, you just described every single punk rock band that right. I know. Right. I was like, do you got a, do you got a couple of guys you play with on the regular? No. It's like, you got a record out? No. Do you even own a van, pickup truck, station wagon? No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to have to tell you this, but Green Day, by your own definition, are much better musicians than you. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's just you know that's one of those things. It's like I tell anybody, it's like if if you love it and you have a passion for it and you are doing something that that you makes you feel good by what you hear or what you see, go for it, man. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I don't 
necessarily subscribe to the school that you need to you need to learn everything to play your instrument. I, I don't subscribe to it at all. Like because really, if you can, I mean, it, most of the people like are, are Kurt Cobain level that are out there playing rock and roll. Right yeah. Now. It's you know, like, and, I, and I've actually got people that are like, give me some lessons. I'm like, no, I will show you a couple of scales. I'll show you a couple of different ways to play them and show you a couple of ways for you to come up with your own ideas and you'll be busy for five years. But here's the thing. And this guy, when I was working at a record label in the 90s, I was playing all this you know, math rock stuff right. in, the, in, the sh in the shipping department there. <laughs> and, uh, and I was also listening to Helmet and like a lot of other of the really you know, change it up style. Yeah, you we know, got to like, open up for Helmet. Yeah, it, was that at the, at the Metro then? or was Yeah, Metro or Factory, mm -hmm. whatever, same room, you know. And this guy who was one of the worst, the most opinionated indie rock ass wipes, I fucking <laughs> hate him to this day, but I learned a lot from him. Uh, you know, guy that came from a record store, you know, and would right. just come in while you're listening to something and go, that's unlistenable. You realize right. that, don't you? <laughs> right, right. Um, but he said, you know, th that's great and all, but like when you're listening to a Helmet song or whatever, he's like, can you remember anything about that song? Like, you know, half an hour from now or an hour from now, is there anything that stuck with you? Is there a song? And then, um, I'm like, no, not really. That's not the point. He's like, it's still in the format of like a song, but there's no song there, you know? And that was not in your case and not in the case of King Sour and like, like, um, alternatives and stuff, but a lot of bands that do that riff rock just string riffs together one after another they never had that cohesive thing and like you pointed out like Kurt Cobain that's all he had and mm -hmm. that was more important than being able to play yeah it's not the that, it's not know? the palette it's the composition right you know right and like that's I think that's happened with with a lot of the rock and roll going in that direction is that people miss the fact that it is still rock and roll mm -hmm. and rock and roll is dick and pussy mm -hmm. you know it's like everybody's got that equipment and everybody yep. can do it and sex is like is is available to everyone it it doesn't need to be reinvented it doesn't need to be uh, improved upon no it just it's needs it just needs to be accessorized right. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it's when you're doing it it doesn't matter it's been done before yep. it doesn't matter who else has been doing it yep. it's just like the energy of being in that moment and that that's what rock and roll is you mm -hmm. know and you take it too far into uh high art and it loses that you know well because it, because rock and roll is not about taking yourself seriously if you start right. taking yourself seriously you have lost it you're not playing rock and roll <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah yeah you know? yeah you're you're, you're yeah you've 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 lost you've gone off the tracks you yeah. know yeah. or you've gone on the tracks i guess but it's like you right know, but yeah, if, if you got you got on the grid, and it's like yeah. you know, it isn't about musicianship; it's about your ability to walk that line. You know, and you I know, always I always love it when you know, quote unquote, pop stars. They do a record, they get huge, they do, they tour, you know, they make a bunch of money. Everybody's giving them Grammys and accolades, and they get soundtrack deals. And then they do another record, and it sounds totally different from the first one. Everybody's like, "What the hell's wrong with you?" And mm -hmm. I'm always like, "Hell yeah, man!" Yeah. It's just like, okay, I've done that. I've been there. I've done my sci-fi movie, mm -hmm. you know. Now I'm gonna do Little House on the Prairie mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I want, I want to go this way. I want to learn about this. I, this is something I'm interested in, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm always, you know. And of course, some people do it on purpose, but I, you know, that's one of the reasons why for many years I just, even though some of the songs I didn't like and blah blah blah, it's one of the reasons I loved the Beastie Boys for mm -hmm. a long time because mm -hmm. they would always just like, okay, we, we've done this, or, yeah. and they'd throw it away and they'd start over. Like I get, mm -hmm. they get so much props for me when they were like, we need to learn to play. Yeah. We, need to, we need to learn to play the instruments ourselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so they started, they learned how to play. And they had been somewhat, they'd been playing hardcore before that and some level of musicianship, but then they wanted to be able to play that stuff they were sampling. Right. Which is a whole different palette. You right. Know? You know, and one thing they, you know, and they did it. And also, too, it saves you a lot of money because if you're 
riffing yourself. You don't have to give people royalty checks. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, because that was right at the time that samples started getting expensive. Yep. You know, and if you're gonna pay for it, you might as well just turn it into a karaoke song, like yep. what Puff Daddy was doing. Like, yep. <laughs> make it a cover, basically. Yep. The last person I had on the show was Prabir. Um, you know, Prabir Maytai is like Prabir and the Substitutes, uh, Gold Rush, all that. Mm -hmm. You know him. <clears throat> and, we, and we were talking about the Beastie Boys. I mean, for me, they're, this, they're basically the only other band that's anything like the Beatles to me. In the not so much in the music they made, but the way they went about it. Different every fucking couple of years, completely different guys. A completely know? unexpected progression. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always, no, no, I, I never really thought about culturally, that. Culturally, they were in the yeah. same ballpark. Yeah. I think. Yeah, well, they didn't. They definitely didn't pull any punches and really didn't give a shit. I mean, they could afford to not give a shit, mm -hmm. but but still, at the same time, they really didn't. They they weren't pulling any punches at all. They were just like, "Oh, we're gonna do this. Mm -hmm. You like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't." Yeah, yeah and that's. Um, I was just thinking about too. Like, I mean, Weezer. I I would never really have gone out and told anybody they were one of my favorite bands, you know. But I I've got the that blue album and I got Pinkerton, mm -hmm. and I know them back to front like intimately and love both of those records. And that was a huge departure from the one to the other, you know. Well, Weezer to me is like watching the Fisher film. It's like mm -hmm. every time you listen to it, you're like, oh man. It's like you hear you, you hear a little bit more. You get mm -hmm. a little bit more information. You're like, damn, I didn't really. I really, I, did I really miss that the yeah. first ten times I yeah. listened to this song, you know, you know, or you know, you hear it on the radio a bunch of times, you played it at home, and then the first time you actually listen to the whole record with headphones on, and you're like, damn, I missed mm -hmm. that too, you know, mm -hmm. just you know, and 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 the thing is, is that I I wouldn't say that I'm a Weezer fan per se, but I am definitely a Weezer. Uh, Appreciator, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because it's like, because some of the songs, like you know, because there's a narrative, I'm just like, I don't really like the narrative, you know, mm -hmm, for that mm -hmm. song. But mm -hmm. musically, and you know, and socially, and also the fact that they've got some really weird sense of morality that they mm -hmm. always stick to. It's like I'll, I'll always give somebody props for that. Yeah, I I don't think I would have prior to maybe 24 hours ago called myself a Weezer fan either despite the fact that they're always on my iPod always <laughs> on my computer if I turn and I went to see that sweater band like the guys that are right. doing the, and I was sitting 10 feet away from them the entire time like singing uh, along yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's embarrassing <laughs> oh no it's not you know I'm the guy that sings along to sound of music I, I don't I, I don't I don't find it but you know when Pinkerton came out and I, I'm just that's just such a good example of a guy uh, somebody who had a proven formula something that worked really well they sold a bajillion records and they totally the next record didn't sound anything like that and I didn't mm -hmm. like it when I heard it the first time and now it's one of my favorite records of all time mm -hmm. you know and it's based on Madame Butterfly did you know that I did not that makes yeah. it even cooler yeah Pinkerton is the name of the admiral that falls in love with the Japanese oh right yeah, and then if you listen to the song, oh, it's about being a touring musician instead of a guy in the Navy, and uh, it's got this whole thing going on. Yeah, you know, that's funny, because uh, having a realization, I was watching something on PBS last night about uh, the Tower of London, mm -hmm. and the the phrase day tripper mm -hmm. is about a day tripper in England is a tourist. Uh-huh. And so, and it totally changed. I was just like, and I had this Beatles moment. I was just like, oh, a day tripper. It's yeah. like, I, you know, of course, I'm putting it in American context. I'm like, oh, he's taking acid during the daytime. 
You know what I mean? It's just like, and it was like, you know, it was like, man, how come I never, you know, it's one I of thought you were going to tell me something like it's somebody who is uh, that day going to the gallows or something. Right. No, it's literally a tourist. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I was just like, oh, I was like, man, and I, and I think I, I actually did. I pulled up the lyrics to, to Day Tripper on, mm-hmm. on, you know, Google that shit. One was, way ticket. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, and I, and I was like, man, that completely changes the whole idea of the song to me. You know, and where where are they? Do they mean a literal tourist? Were they? Was it a play on words? I don't really know. I always thought it just kind of meant somebody who was a dilettante. You know, wasn't really into it. Was kind of playing around, fucking with it. Yeah, know, but see, really, but yeah. but but now it's like you have to wrap that around the whole idea because you know, in in the you know, in English verbiage, it means a tourist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so and, and so I literally was. It was I one think of, it's a one night stand he's talking about. This is some chick that he hooked up with, and it turns out like so he's a sex sex tourist, you know. Yeah, but she was. Yeah. So yeah. It so took it's me just so like, long to find out, but I find found out. Yeah. 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 So I'm uh-huh. you know. So the whole thing, I was just like, man, that is kind of. I just I got my. Uh, I thank you, PBS. You cooked my noodle again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, PBS is good for that, man. Yeah. I like catch it at the right time, with or without. Uh, enhancements, you know, yeah, it's still good, still, mm-hmm. still good and brain food. And, and you don't get beat about the head and shoulders with stupid commercials. Very true. And there's so much stuff on on uh, YouTube and and Netflix and stuff that you yeah. can find that's like that. Love me that some Netflix. Yeah. Love me some Netflix. What do you watch? What are you uh, oh, cracking whatever. out on there lately? Uh, what have I been cracking out on? Well. I just got uh, the Breaking Bad stuff. Uh, yeah. I've been cracking out on because well, I actually bought the DVD so I don't have to use up too much of my cellular data, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, now that the show's over, it's like you can go to Walmart and get a whole season for fifteen right, right. bucks. So it's like that's cheaper than the cellular data. So are you are you collecting it or are you just getting into watching it? Just getting into watching oh, it. Wow. Like I'm like halfway through the second season. So don't tell me anything because I don't want to know. Okay, no spoilers here. But also too, when everybody says, "Oh my God, it's the best way for a series to end," then I have to watch it. Yeah. You know. It was a really good series, and it was really uncomfortable for me when I first started watching. It was like a little too close to home, and then I was able to get some detachment, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get a little distance. Well, yeah, the yeah. first, the first, I, I, you know, I think the 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 first half of the second season, like the first couple shows in there, I was just like, you know, scratching parts of the back of my right, neck, and right. just like, oh man, that's a little bit too familiar. I'm sitting there going, Jesse is living the life I would like to be living in that in that house with all that crap, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. How far are you into that series at this point? Um, almost done with the second season. I really like that. Um, the way that they show what goes wrong when you really try to take matters into your own hands, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and when you don't accept some shit and like. You're like, well, well, I am now justified to break the rules and right. do whatever the fuck I want, yeah. and like, I'm just, and I'm just gonna do this simple little thing, and then I'm gonna stop. And well, because like, well, what I liked about it is it starts off as like I'm standing up, up for myself. Fuck mm-hmm. you for keeping me down, and mm-hmm. then it just kind of starts. I mean, where it's happening now is like, yeah, you, you're pouring a little bit too much, too much meth, methamphetamine on that fire, man. It's yeah. like you know, it's gonna get out of control. And he's doing that to everything that was happening to him that he was like rebelling against, he starts doing everybody else. Yeah. He yeah. starts being that cancer, yep. you know, it's pretty fucking brilliant, but you know, you can enjoy it on a total fucking like, you know, spaghetti Western level or whatever. Oh yeah. Know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whatever. The 16 year old kid and oh, 16 year old boy. I mean, he was just like, right. beat his ass, man. Beat yeah, his ass. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. just like, put that kid up, you know, it's just like, you know, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a good show. It's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of, it, uh, the onions got a lot of layers to it. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. That, that's, it's pretty classic. I, uh, I, I've been cracking out lately on, um, Homeland, which, uh, is on Showtime right. and it's now on again and I, I don't have Showtime, so I have, I to, don't uh, either. I have to get it from the interwebs, 
But uh, I thought it was it jumped the shark at the beginning of the season, and it's really getting good. So if you get a chance to check those previous two seasons out, man, it's fucking tight. It's okay. Taut. Taut. It's yes. taut. <laughs> well, we're hitting about the one-hour mark, man. But um, what do you got? Like those paintings that you were doing, like that whole series, is that do you do hang shows of that kind of stuff? Or is it, um, I, I have done a couple of shows and actually sold um, a number of the paintings. So I've been um, and I and I just did a well. The thing about the Lincoln mural and the George Washington murals, I got a lot of press. Like I got mm-hmm. RBA magazine gave me press, the Richmond Times gave me press, mm-hmm. uh, Style magazine gave me press. Um, and I got a job out of it. I did a mural project along with, and I brought another artist in, um, Charles Berger, mm-hmm. who was a tattooist at Heroes and Ghosts, and he's a really, really good, like, tag-style artist. Mm-hmm. And um, this guy up in Fredericksburg, ha- uh, Grover Gibson, has a, like, a nonprofit um, soccer training camp that he built, like, on his property, and he has this little facility. So I did three of the pop portraits of uh, Platini, Maradona, and Pele, and did oh. um, a giant like 12 by 12 foot um, thing of his, of the logo for the the RVA football club. Cool. And then Charles did like in the weight room and the locker rooms. He did like big tags and and ran like um, actually used some of my, my dot pattern and ran like you know colors and dots and stuff through the whole building. So we ended up doing the entire interior of this place. Um, and where is that again? It's the tr- it's in Fredericksburg. Oh, okay. Um, and but it's on his property. But the guy mm-hmm. is like the head coach for the RBA football club. So this is a, a Richmond soccer team. Yep. That they're practicing Fredericksburg. Well, uh, he has a train. The coach has his own private okay. training facility on his property. I was so focused on the art, I wasn't listening to geography. Uh, it, it, right, they, but but you know, I'm hoping that and Richmond kickers are, are actually solicited stuff. So I'm hoping maybe they'll call me. I'm just you know I'm really excited that. I've gotten some traction and gotten some movement going with my art again, and I would, I'm really hoping that I can keep it going. It's really cool, man. Yeah, and I like, I like that you're you're stepping into that role of an elder statesman, of, uh, <laughs> you know, the Richmond, you know, whatever it is now. It's like it's not the counterculture that was countercultural for us when we were in our 20s is now now we're the we're one of the cultures in this town yeah it's, it's weird not counter it's anything, weird you know? yeah it's weird it's cool though i think because richmond by not being desirable to anybody who other than vcu and they're and they're trying to turn their part of it into a bunch of you know chains and bullshit mm-hmm. you know but these things have never been stamped out they they're flourishing and you know yeah this place that nobody's really fucking with yeah well they, well it's <laughs> well it's because we you know it like it's like the it's like those weird ghetto palms that grow up between the yes. buildings in Richmond. It's like, man, you can cut you can cut it down and you can pave it over, but as soon as you turn it's your back, right. as soon as you turn your back, we're <laughs> we're back, man. It's like <laughs> Pat Pat Best. Do you remember him? That was in. Uh, he worked at Grace Place. He had dreadlocks. He was from D.C. Yeah, 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 yeah. He once said that when the Messiah comes again, he's going to be walking on ghetto palms instead of nice. palm leaves. Nice. We'll leave it there. All right. Thanks, Austin. You're welcome. All right, that was Austin Fitch. I'll be looking out for him and uh, his paintings. Dig it. Hey, be looking out for me too. Uh, if you're listening to this, I know you can spare a little bit of money because you got it like that. You got like a computer, you got internet access, you might even have a smartphone. You're probably paying like $100 a month for this service. Never mind what you pay for the phone. So hook it up. 
go to the donate button on my page, tantricconversation.com, and uh, show me some love. Doesn't have to be a lot. Every little bit counts. Ten dollars, twenty dollars. You know, hook it up. Help me out, please, for God's sakes. And uh, yeah, um, I hope all of you are having a lovely fall. The weather has just gotten nice and crisp out there. You can wear a jacket. And you can accessorize. You can wear hats and gloves and scarves and uh, fuck around with tweeds and wools and. All that stuff, it's always nice, right? Always fun to put on some extra layers. Start letting yourself go. Worry about uh, looking good in a swimsuit. Pack on a little winter weight. Everyone always like removing all those layers of clothes for myself and others. Oh, wait, yeah, we don't need to go there. I think I'm going to wear a lot of tweed jackets this fall. And I'm going to just... I'm just going to go for that, like patch on the elbow college professor look you know, doddering old intellectual it shouldn't be too much of a stretch really yeah what are you gonna do what are you gonna wear this fall what's the fall look looking like for you why don't you uh why don't you post something on the tantric conversation page or tweeted me at zizmos x-y-z-m-o-s-s or uh i don't know get at me some other way Until next time, namaste, motherfuckers.